This is Chris Reynolds and welcome to the Entrepreneur House podcast. The Entrepreneur House is a business accelerator for established entrepreneurs creating events and retreats all over the world. If you're ready to take your business to the next level with other successful entrepreneurs, be sure to apply at theentrepreneurhouse.com. Today, listeners, on this episode, we are welcoming Nigel Moore to the show. Nigel recently sold his seven-figure service-based business and is currently running a community for entrepreneurs that have IT businesses. There are many highlights in this episode because Nigel really digs into the details of starting, running, and selling his business. He talks about the five, six, and seven-figure mentalities, how he spends 20 to 30 hours a week learning about business, leadership, and personal growth. He then talks about the importance of building a business that creates a high value for the world. Bottom line, this episode with Nigel was incredible and a show you will not want to miss. And with that, let's welcome Nigel to the show. How you doing, Nigel? G'day, mate. I thought I'd start off a little Australian sounding. <laughs> so you're calling in from Australia today, right? I am, an hour north of sunny Sydney, sitting on the beach. Uh, well, you wouldn't let me sit on the beach because it was too noisy outside, so I've gone back inside. <laughs> yeah, for the listeners, Nigel was outside sitting by the beach, and I, I asked him to step inside so we had better audio quality. So my fault, my bad. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, Nigel. Glad you're here. And No problem. I'm pumped to be here. Yeah, we're going to talk today about Nigel's Nigel building, running, selling a tech service-based business. He runs an IT community, and he's got some really cool tips and tricks about personal development and keeping on schedule and balancing life. So I know all those, those things are really exciting for the listeners and for you and for myself, both, Nigel. So let's jump into who you are and how you became the entrepreneur that you are today. So I sort of fell into it maybe about eight or nine years ago. I'd always wanted to run my own business way back in the late 90s. And I, I actually was running some some web design companies back then. And then I fell out of it and back into working for the man for a couple of years. And then through a, a series of bizarre events, which is a story for another podcast, mm-hmm. I ended up running an IT services company and then owning it. And um, and that started me off on the, the entrepreneurial journey back in, it was about 19, uh, sorry, 2008. And since then, I, I grew up from my dining room table with 50 grand in debt and um, me running from a little laptop <laughs> and um, grew it up and through a series of mergers and, and growth and whatnot, we ended up turning over just shy of one and a half million dollars. And recently, we sold the business. And um, now I'm out running a, a community of IT business owners, teaching them all the strategies that we used in ours over the years. And, and we, does that mean you have partners associated with that business? In the IT company, in the last two years, I had a business partner in there. Okay. So cool. we, we, we joined our two companies together in the final two years to grow it together, and then um, we sold it as one. What were like two or three of the biggest takeaways that you learned from growing a business into a seven-figure business and then selling it and making a decision you know, to sell it? Yeah, you know, the, the biggest thing for us, in terms of running the business at seven figures. So we, we got it to a point where I was able to run the business pretty comfortably with about five to 10 hours a week of input from me mm-hmm. in the business. And um, the biggest thing we did there was we documented the hell out of it. We, we had, when we sold the business, we had about 1,100 SOPs in there that we wow. worked for the last couple of years on. And we'd hired two really, really good managers. So we had an operations manager and a service delivery manager. And, um, and we'd worked with them to document the entire business. And so for me, getting to seven figures and being able to run it with hardly any input, it was all around documentation and hiring the right people. And how, how big was your team when you sold it? We were eight, I think, eight oh, nice. including us. 
so nice and small. And we had some, a mixture of onshore in Sydney, and we had some team members in the Philippines as well. So hiring the right people, was that a lot of trial and error for you? <laughs> <laughs> many, many years of trial and error, okay. absolutely. It takes a long time, to, or it took me a long time at least, to, to learn personalities and learn, um, learn who I worked with best and, and who I was able to lead best and also build up the confidence to hire people at the right level as well. I think that took me a, probably a lot longer than most people. Do you love the IT industry? Is this kind of why you chose that path? Funnily enough, I hate computers. Um, (laughs) That probably kicked me on the journey of wanting to to sell the IT company. Um, However, I love technology. I I think technology has changed the world in the most amazing way. I think we're we're in the world's we're in a time right now where where the world is in an amazing place. We can connect with like you and me. We can connect on the other side of the world with a, a a wire and a couple of couple of bits of plastic and metal. Right. Freaking amazing. Yeah. Um. So I love technology. I love what it's done for us. Uh, I, after 12 years of running an IT services business, I think that probably ended up becoming the end of the line for me and time to move on. Tell us some things about running and managing a company at that level. You know, at the end, you said you only had five or so hours that you were working on it. How long did it take you to get that up to that point? Eight years. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, it was it was a long time. Uh, the, what I did very deliberately in the last couple of years of the, of the business was that I moved away from it. I moved two hours, oh, actually three hours north to a farm, okay. and um, and that meant that I was able to spend a good couple of days every week working on the business rather than in it. Okay. And when I then I I drive down to the office and spend a couple of days in the business each week, and half of the time when I was in the business was working in it where I was talking to the guys and the other half of the time was working on it, setting it up for sale or setting it up so that it wasn't reliant on me and my business partner. What do you do the rest of the time? Work on the farm? I, I had another, I was running an IT community back then at that time. Yeah. And, um, and I was also looking around at some deals for, for some SaaS business mm-hmm. stuff that I was going to start investing in. Um, so I was spending a lot of time on that as well, but there was no working on the farm. That was for <laughs> other people. <laughs> okay, gotcha. I'm not a, I'm not an outdoor farmer guy. Throw me in the surf and I'm fine, but but don't ask me to turn over a, a mound of soil. Yeah, <laughs> okay. After finishing this experience building a tech service-based business, what are some of the lessons you learned that you would like others to know going into this? I'm sure there's quite a few listeners that are building service-based businesses and a lot in the tech industry. So what are some tidbits that you would share with them? So the first thing that I always teach everyone and talk to everyone about is narrowing down your niche as as low as you possibly can do it. There's, I know there's an American term, I think it is, there's, there's riches in the niches. Yeah. Um, but it, it is so true. And in our IT services business and in any services business, the more you can narrow down and chunk it down to one particular type of client avatar that you're working with, the easier it is that you can scale and the easier it is that you can you can become really, really, really good at what you do because you can document processes for just that specific type of avatar. If you're trying to boil an ocean and, and operate with hundreds of different types of clients that have got hundreds of different types of systems and processes and whatnot out there, it's really, really, really hard to get good. It's really easy to make mistakes and it's really, really tough to scale. So that, that would be my first one. My second one, my and this is more a broad tip, is always be in momentum, always be fo- moving forward. So we, we had a rule in our business that was everything must be continually incrementally improved. And so that meant that every single one of those processes that I was talking about, every time we ran through them, 
we were always looking for a way to improve them. Mm-hmm. So we were always in that forward continual improvement. It's the, the old Kaizen theory. We're always in that that mode of trying to improve every single thing we did all the time in a forward direction. You said you had 1,100 SOPs. What were you doing with all those? You were continually improving all those at the same time? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you don't you don't use them all on the same day. Yeah, yeah. But, but for instance, in an IT services business, and, and we used to do product sale as well, um, we used to sell a lot of – so we'd probably sell half a million dollars a year worth of kit. And um, to be able to sell all of that, we had to, we had a, a full-time sales admin person over in the Philippines who used to do all of our quoting for our clients. Mm-hmm. And to, to be able to let her do all of that, we had to have it documented – how we would quote every single type of piece of equipment that we'd sell, such as how do you quote a computer or a monitor or a server or a router or whatever it is. All of them were documented as to exactly how we'd go through the process to do it. Um, and then every single one of those products had vendors that we had to purchase them from. So all of that had to be documented as well as to how to purchase this from this vendor and, and whatnot. So there was there was tons and tons and tons of different SOPs like that that all um, were needed for us to be able to to sell at that kind of level. How did you manage all those SOPs? Like, did you you have a really great filing system so people knew where to, to get we, to go? We and get started it? from the top down. Um, we chunked the business down into the categories that we're in, and it was it was loosely based on the the EOS operating system from the book Traction by Gino Whitman, I think the name is. Okay. Um, where where business is broken down into your delivery side, your finance and admin, and your operations side of your business. Sorry, your sales and marketing, your finance and admin and your delivery, your service delivery side of the business. And so we broke our SOPs down from that top level down, and then we'd break them down on a roll basis, and we'd just drill from the top down. And the rule, we, the loose rule that we used, we, did, we weren't 100% on it, but the loose rule we used was that at any time in the business, whenever anybody's working on something, they should be either following an SOP, creating an SOP, or editing an SOP. Wow. And that was... That was the loose rule, and with a couple of years of having that rule in the business, that's how we got to 1,100. It didn't happen overnight. Yeah. It didn't happen over three months. It happened over a couple of years. Wow. After you know spending eight years to build this business and then deciding to sell it, looking back on it, would you do it again? I would. <laughs> Good question. <laughs> I wouldn't do it again with an IT services business like that. Um, I would absolutely do it again with another business and I'm, I'm looking for more businesses to be able to, to do it with as a side project mm-hmm. where I'm more involved as a strategic advisor investor level where I would go in and I'd help a business as a put in some capital into it, advise on the strategies or whatever that, that maybe we helped get through or get helped us get through and, um, and help them bring it up to a saleable level uh, or even just a level where it's, it's operating nice and profitably and it doesn't need to be sold. Right. Now, Nigel, I'd like to ask you a little bit about the difference in mentality between a pre-six-figure mentality and then the six-figure mentality, and then eventually you came into the seven-figure mentality. What was the difference between those three? So the pre-six-figure mentality, I don't have a lot of experience in because the moment I inherited that business through that that strange sequence of events, it was already a six-figure business. Um, However, I, I guess... It was in its still in its infancy, so I wasn't earning a lot of money. I started off in my first few years only pulling out maybe thirty something thousand dollars a year from it. So I guess it could be classed as a six figure business, a less than six figure business. And in that mode, I was just hustling. I was eighty hours a week, figuring out every single thing. I was getting and my the biggest thing, if I look back now, that I did wrong at that point 
was I got too involved in the details. Mm-hmm. I, I wasn't focusing on the bigger picture of sales and strategy and planning and direction and, and our mission and our vision and where we're going and whatnot. I was focused 100% just down in the weeds. And, um, and it took me a, probably two years of doing that to really realize, hey, I need to, if I want to build this into something, I've got to take a step up and I've got to think like a business owner, not like an engineer. And, um, and that was probably the biggest leap from, I guess you'd call it pre-six figures to six figures, was thinking as a business owner, not as an engineer. And so I'd, I split my, my time to a degree, or I split my brain to a degree. And parts of the time I was working as the engineer in the business, I was the, the lead engineer of the business. And then parts of the time I was operating as a, you, maybe you'd call it a, an investor level, where I was thinking, how can I tweak this to turn it into something that's a, an actual business, not a, not a glorified job for myself. And through that whole process, I was through the, the below six figures and up to in the six figures, I was very, very, very heavily involved in everything. The, the business was like a, a, was all reliant around me. I was the centerpiece of the business. And the switch to get it to seven figures was pulling that, pulling me out of the middle of the business. Uh, that's when I had to go and get all these SOPs and turn them in, or work on the SOPs and hire people that could do the daily management. That I, so I'm not a, a great manager. I'm, a, I'm probably a good leader, but I'm not a great manager. And so the step from six to seven figures was around hiring good managers in the business that I could talk to them about the vision and how we're going to be, be doing this and the strategies and whatnot, and they would be the, the people in there day by day implementing them. And I think that was a big switch for me, six to seven, was that pull me out, give vision, and hire guys that can do it. What do you look for in a good manager that can run a business at that level? Reliability is probably the biggest one um, for me. Um, personality, of course, that goes without saying. But for me, our managers, so we, a good business runs on a series of just day-to-day. So there's a, a good business over a year. It's just made up of day-to-day. And I look for someone that can manage a day. If you can manage a day very well, you can get to the end of the day. You can you can review. You can reassess. You can report on what that day was and you're happy doing that every single day in a row, to me, that was a really good manager. Those were the guys that they'd get in, they'd get in the trenches, they'd manage their team underneath them. They would report to me with a five-minute email at the end of every single day, and that was all I needed. Um, if we, we started off a couple of times trying to get people into roles that weren't managers and trying to ask them to do that day-to-day stuff, and it didn't work out so well. And so once we got into the the finding the right people that were were happy leading and happy happy leading their teams to a degree, but not from a, a high level leadership view like we did. But happy leading their teams and managing their teams on a day to day basis, and loving the routine of being given a framework to operate in and operating inside that framework. That was they were the sort of guys we were looking for. Incredible. And they were the sort of guys we ended up finding. Um, it took me the last person that we hired was our operations manager. Um, she she ended up replacing my wife who was about to have our second kid, so we decided to finally get her out of the business. Mm. And the the recruitment program for that, we went through a recruiter that we paid many thousands of dollars for who couldn't find us someone that, that we wanted. And then we did three re- full recruitment campaigns ourselves with maybe 400 people going through the process before we found this person. It took us four months, maybe five months to find this person. And that was that was based on that we knew that we wanted a really, really, really amazing person. And that person turned out absolutely amazing, but it was a, a hard slog trying to find them. Let's move on to what you're doing today. Now you're running a community for IT business owners, correct? Yes. 
Tell us about that. What have you got going on? So we've just launched in the last week uh, to our founding members, which was a little internal launch just to, to get some founding members in there. We've built up uh, a platform that is built for people like me four or five years ago so that they can come in, they can join a community. We roll out tons and tons of training and courses about how to run an IT level at the level that we, uh, sorry, an IT company at the level that we did. Um, things like our, our intro course as people join the community is called the Seven Figure Foundation course. And it's, uh, I think there's about 16, 15 or 16 modules that we run through or lessons that we run through that just gets the foundations for your business right, um, getting your pricing right, getting your, your mission right, which might sound a little bit woo-woo, but if you want to get to seven figures, mission and values and, and purpose are ridiculously important. Mm-hmm. So it goes through all of those things. And then once they pump out of that, jump out of that, they then have access to a whole pile of training that we're, we're working on rolling out each month, including things like how to set up marketing funnels, how to hire A players, how to all the, the tactical kind of things that you need to run a, a technology business at the level that we did. What's the name of that? The name of the community? The, the name of the business is called My Technology Business. Okay. Our community is called the Tech Tribe. So My Technology Business is going to run a couple of different programs. The Tech Tribe is our, our first one, which is the, the global community of technology business owners and the training. The next level up later on this year, we're looking at doing some retreats around the world hmm. uh, where we get maybe eight to 10 people and we'll, we'll jump in and hire a, a place for, for four or five days and and we'll be a mixture of, of high performance, some coaching, some some fun. We'll be out on jet skis or we'll be jumping out of planes or something like that, as well as we'll be in there masterminding on those people's businesses and going really, really, really deep. Something that the online version is just not capable of doing in person has that, that much greater impact. So that's later on in the year. And we'll also be looking at rolling out some some more in-person masterminds later on in the year as well. you have any locations in mind for those? We do. Uh, Thailand. We'd like to run one over in Thailand. Um, um, we fell in love with the place over there, so we would really love to, to run one or two over there. And um, and for we've got a lot of clients in North America, so we need to try and find somewhere over there, somewhere over that side of the world to run one. So I know, Nigel, something that's really important to you is personal growth and studying business and leadership. I know you mentioned you spend 20, 20 to 30 hours a week learning about business leadership and personal growth. Obviously, it's a passion of yours. Tell us a little bit about that. I don't know if it's a passion or an addiction. I think it's, <laughs> I think it's the latter. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, to me, it's it's my hobby. I, I love small business. I love everything to do with small business and personal growth. And I'm a firm believer that that I am the best thing that I can invest my time and money into. And if I invest as much as I possibly can into myself, then everything else around me is going to fall into place. And so, so each week I've got a, I'll read a book or two. I'll listen to an audio book. I'll listen to to five to ten podcasts every week. I will um, I every day, single day, I meditate for at least twenty minutes every single day as a way to try and keep my my crazy, I think it's ADD brain under control. <laughs> um, I journal every single day, and I have uh, I'm up to four hundred days in a row um, wow. of both of them, except for one day that I missed while I was traveling in France with the kids. On my journaling, unfortunately, but I am I'm up to about 420 days in a row in meditation uh, without a break, and so I just do. To me, it's all personal productivity hacking, understanding how I work best, and just keep feeding into into me to be able to grow me as a person, to be able to lead better, to be able to invest better, to be able to teach people better. It's all around that. But it, as I said, it's also an addiction. It's what I love. I, I wake up in the morning and I can't wait to do it. I either want to go out for a surf or I want to go and, and read a good book or listen to a, a good podcast or or um or something like that. 
I so can't I, not do it. <laughs> so I was going to ask you about exercise. Is, is surfing your normal exercise? It's one of. So we live on the beach. So out the front door is, is the ocean. So most mornings I'm across there. I'll either do a quick run or I'll do some some basic exercise of maybe a, a little little workout session and then I'm in the water. And lately while we've been in this launch process, I've been a little bit bad and I haven't surfed as much as I'd like. We've got to surf directly out the front door. But um, once I've got this launch done and dusted, I'll be getting back into it. But anything to do with the beach and on the beach is how I get my exercise done. Anything to do with the water. Do you use any apps to meditate? I do from time to time. So I started off using the Headspace app. That's what got me onto the journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and that worked quite well. And I think I got to a certain point where I needed to move on from that. Um, after that, I did a lot of just just complete stillness, just sitting in stillness with nothing. Mm-hmm. Then I discovered the the six-phase meditation by Vishen Lakhiani yeah. um, from Mind Valley, And I, I used that for quite some time. And then I ended up not wanting someone talking to me the entire 20 minutes because I do <laughs> minimum 20 minutes every single day. So what I did is I, I found an app called, I think it's called Seconds on the phone, which sets up a series of timers. And after each time session is finished, it dings a Tibetan bell. And so I set up twenty minute a 20-minute schedule that went for, I think it was maybe two minutes of a check-in, then six minutes of, of this and four minutes of that and whatever. There was about six different things loosely based on Vision's one, but it was silence in between. And um, and I used that for quite some time, and that worked quite well. But what I find is I'm not very religious in doing my meditation in the morning or at night times or whatever, and, um, and I need to get better at that. That's one of my focuses I'm working on at the moment. But what I found was in the morning, it was very easy to do the still meditation with just nothing there. At night times, if I don't get to do it until 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock at night, I need a guided meditation because otherwise I fall asleep <laughs> or I, my brain goes in a million different ways. So it's pretty fascinating to see how the brain differs even just during the day and how you can control it and what it does. And just watching it from an external objective perspective is, is a fascinating thing. So you're a family man. How do you balance all of this with being a family man also? I outsource it all to my wife. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> <laughs> she's good. She loves kids. Um, she used to be in the business, but now she's not, so she can full-time look after them. We've got two little ones under four, mm-hmm. um, so they're, they're pretty full-on at the moment. They're, they're always home. Um, so weekends for me is I don't work on weekends, and I try not to work most nights. So I try to do most of my stuff between a 9 to 5, 36-ish. In the middle of launches and when we're doing something new, I I'll, I'll, might do something on a weekend or I might do something a couple of nights in a row at night time. But I try to limit my time in front of my computer in my office. We've got a, an attic office, which is away from everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, I try to limit my time there so that I'm down with the family outside of that. But uh, the other thing is always is having my wife who looks after the house. She looks after everything to do with the house extremely well. And, um, and that helps like crazy. Oh, so I know it's important to you to connect with other entrepreneurs that have a similar mentality, but also create businesses that are creating a high value of good in this world. And I'm just kind of curious if you could dig into that and why it's an important value for you. Sure. Um, That didn't become a value I knew much about in myself until a couple of years ago. And um, before that, I was very, very, very self-motivated. Everything was about feeding my ego and me creating something amazing 
And the last couple of years, once I've started to, and I guess that was because I was in the grind of running the business. I was day in, day out, down in the weeds, running a business up until probably three and a half years ago. Once I started to poke my head out above that and started to travel the world a little bit more, I started seeing a bigger picture and and realizing how, and, and I guess part of the meditation and the, the personal productivity hacking on that, part of it is gratitude. And I started seeing how ridiculously, how, how much of a ridiculously good position we are in as a family and as a, a group of people and whatnot. And right. I felt that I have to be able to, I have to go out and be able to help other people and have a bigger impact than what I'm just looking for in creating a good life for myself. And I'm, I'm in such a good position to be able to do that, that it, it sort of sits inside me and just goes, you've got to go and do this because you've, you've been given this amazing life. This, you live on, in, in an amazing country in the world. you You've got access to the most amazing facilities. You've you've got a brain that can go and build a business anywhere in the world and and run anywhere in the world. You've got to go and do something better with that than just just building a business for yourself. And so for me, that impact is going out and being able to to help others and to create others. And a, a really good book that helped me on that journey is what's it called? It's called Doing Good Better by William McCaskill, and um, it's all about effective altruism and understanding. That back then, I used to think that for me. Um, I was, I, I sort of had this, I guess you'd feel, you'd call it even a pseudo guilty complex that I wasn't out working in a charity or I wasn't out doing something in a charity and reading this book really opened my eyes to people like us where what we should be doing is going out and creating an amazing business that can go and fund a charity, not right. going and working in the charity and spending our time in, in potentially low value offerings for what what we're suited for we should be going out and creating something amazing that can go and and create impact in the world um, either as a byproduct or it can go and invest into something uh, and so when that happened a couple of the things that i did in our business in our it business what i wanted to do was have it so that there were day-to-day things that we we did every single day and i wanted to tie social good into them so what the first thing that we did was Every single day, we used to roll roll out maybe 30 or 40 tickets. So that's the, the nature of an IT services business is you're working on tickets all day, every day. And at the end of every single ticket, we'd send the clients a, a closure email saying, hey, we've finished that for you. Um, here's the notes, et cetera. Uh, we'd really love to know how we did. And for every person that you, for every 10 people that let us know how we did on a, a customer satisfaction survey, we'll go and send a chicken to a family in South Africa. Hmm. And so that was called our our chicken survey. And <laughs> so it was just tying a social good into part of our day-to-day business. And I'm a firm believer that if every biz- every small business in the world figured out a small way to make a social good like that tied into their core offering, I think the world would be, in, in two or three years, the world would be a completely different place. And so one of my little missions is that I'm going out and trying to figure out how businesses can tie that little teeny tiny social good into what they do on a day-to-day basis. And I think we all we all have an amazing... I guess, um, opportunity to be able to do it. We're also, if, if you, if you're running a business, you're living, working around the world, you're jumping around the world, you're, you're working for yourself or whatnot, you're already in the top two to 3% of people in this entire world. Mm -hmm. Really be thankful for that and try and figure out how you can take that little step up and be able to give a little bit of that back to somebody else who may not have the opportunity or may not have the the situation that you have. And for me, that's the next few years is I want to try and figure out how I can grow that a little bit. 
I love that. Everything you just shared about business and philosophy and doing social good, I completely agree with you. And I think we'll see a massive change with that. I've actually spent, and I agree with you completely, that it's it's a great idea for us as entrepreneurs that feel like we should be doing some charity to create some type of social project within our businesses. Because I've built three charity projects, one in Costa Rica, one in Peru, and, and one in Ghana, and just doing it for nonprofit. And those were incredible and really fun and fulfilling and fun adventures and, and did a lot of good. But, you know, there yeah, was good. there was something missing, actually, and, and it was having the entrepreneurial, uh, the business aspect that, that fuels and funds those those charities for continual benefit. Yeah, thanks for sharing that, by the way. All right, my friend, I think that's going to wrap up our podcast. I think that's a great note to end up on. For the listeners out there, Nigel, that want to get a hold of you or reach out to your community or learn more about what's going on, where can they find you at? So you can find me at nigel.me, and you can find the new business that I'm working on at www.mytechnologybusiness.com. Nigel, I want to give you a big thank you for coming on the show, my friend. Thanks for sharing all of your tips and tricks and wisdom with us. I really appreciate it. Thanks, listeners, for tuning in. And thanks, Nigel, for coming on the show once again. See you next time, everybody. Been a pleasure. The Entrepreneur House is a business accelerator for established entrepreneurs. Imagine spending an extended period of time with other successful entrepreneurs working together and growing your business. Day to day, you interact with other driven and smart business people. Spending an extended period of time around them alters your business and your mentality around business. Goals are set, business grows, new partnerships develop, greater profit margins are achieved, the productivity skyrockets for those that are in the Entrepreneur House, and you get to have an incredible adventure while doing it. This year we have three different events, a three-day productivity weekend in different cities all around the world, a two-week all-inclusive retreat for entrepreneurs with six-figure businesses. This will be full of workshops, masterminds, and adventure. Then a four-week event in Chiang Mai, Thailand for established entrepreneurs, also full of workshops, masterminds, advisors, and fun weekend social events. Be sure to check out the details at theentrepreneurhouse.com as soon as possible. These events will fill up fast. For those of you that are interested in have some questions be sure to contact us through the entrepreneurhouse.com forward slash contact we will respond as soon as possible for now saludos from somewhere in the world How you been? Absolutely flat chat, launching um, the next business. Yeah. So head down, ass up, launched last week to the founding members and got it all done, which is good. The launch is out of the way. I, I'm very, very, very detail-oriented and I'm, I know exactly what I want out of things, so trying to get that across to people is tough. Yeah. So I know that's most of the issue. I, I'm like that too. Like, um, <laughs> you know, I can have somebody edit my stuff and then I'm like, nah, I don't like it so much. And then spend my time re-editing it or <laughs> exactly and and then doing you know doing stuff that i don't enjoy doing at all and it's like where do you find yeah. that, that happy balance yeah exactly well that's what we're i'm working on that at the moment is trying to figure out that happy balance yeah because um i am i am good at writing it 
and I'm good at coming up with it, but I'm slow and it frustrates me. Yeah, and it just takes so much time and energy, right? Yeah, correct. Yeah. One blog post takes me 10 hours to write a good <laughs> blog post. <laughs> I just want to pay someone to, to, to interview me for an hour and be done with it. But right. Unfortunately, they interviewed me for an hour and then I spent four hours editing it. <laughs> so that's not, not worth it at the moment. Right. Very cool. But anyway, hey. how, how's your... How did, how did the last house go after DCBKK? Oh, it went really well. We had a good good group, total of about 20, 21 people or so. Oh, wow. And, um, yeah, it was it was probably the best house to date. I'm getting to the point where, you know, I'm Dialing in the, the systems. in and... the systems, exactly. Uh, but it's good. Yeah. You know, we're going into year three here, and we got some. Yeah, right. We'll do Chiang Mai again. We got some other plans. Okay. So, yeah, things are going well. I'm in Brazil now and uh, right. podcasting like a madman. And You're doing 100, are you? 100 in 100 days, which is yeah, right. pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah, wow. And, um, and it's all, they're all going on the Entrepreneur House podcast. Yeah. Um, yeah, good. And, and I believe, like, I'll just keep it with six and seven level, six figure and seven figure level entrepreneurs and start doing, tagging into, uh, dialing some more events, like really good high quality events that these entrepreneurs can go on. Right. And, yeah, really uh, good. so, um, yeah, cool. have you been, have you podcasted before? Yeah, I used to have a podcast, <laughs> but it's easier when I'm being interviewed versus interviewing. It is. It's a much different, uh, feel. <laughs> I'll talk about your daily schedule here. And um, yeah, I've got ADD. There's no such thing as a schedule. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, are you are you diagnosed ADD? No, not diagnosed, but everyone I know that's got it, I'm worse than them. So I'm self-diagnosed. <laughs> well, Peter Shankman actually asked me if, yeah. if, if I know any entrepreneurs that have ADD that he'd like to have them on the podcast. Right, so, okay. So. Well, I'm... Did a did an online one of those online test things that one of the associations puts out there. Yeah. And the scores were something like um, if you get between one and ten or one and twelve, um, no, you you're nothing. If you get between twelve and seventeen or something, you've probably got a mild dose of it. If you get seventeen to twenty two, then you've probably got a high chance of it. If you got twenty two and above, then yeah, I got fifty five. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm not I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing with you on this one. <laughs> So yeah, maybe maybe I do. I don't know though. Never bothered going and getting tested. Um, but oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think mine balances out with a healthy dose of of OCD as well. Yeah, so it, um, that's good. And and now when I once I started to learn to use frameworks, that certainly helped keep it under control. Yeah, yeah. 